Anybody excited to get in the Word tonight? I am. I love, I don't know about you, but I love the Bible. I love the Bible. I was listening to, and I, I, I was listening to a podcast, which if you know me is a stretch, uh, but I was listening to a podcast because a couple guys in our church got a really good one going on right now, um, and Brother Albert and Brother Ernie, as he's referred to on the podcast, and uh, I love something that was brought out this last week. Brother Ernie was talking about, and he read something from uh, something that he had written in his journal, talking about a friend, <laughs> a friend that's always there, that you talk to every day, sometimes two or three times a day. A friend that always is going to be there for you when you need him. And, of course, the friend he was talking about was the Bible, was the Word. I love to get into the Word, and I hope tonight that as we get into the Word, that something that's said ministers to you. I feel like that there is a Word tonight, a message from the Lord, and uh, I don't take that lightly at all. Doing this is one of, I'll just be honest with you, preaching is one of my least favorite things to do. Uh, because I don't feel um, like I can do it the justice that it needs. It's one of the most stressful things, I guess is the way I should say it, because it's important. You know, Paul tells us that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. A few verses before that, he told us that it's the preacher that helps you hear. So that preacher, that word, that message that is going forth is what builds faith. That's a big responsibility, and I don't take that lightly. And I do feel like that the, the Lord has a word tonight, and so I'm just going to do my best not to get in the way and let him say what he wants to say. And hopefully and prayerfully we all can hear that and receive it tonight. In Jesus' name. I know he's not here, but the bishop would be proud of me. Papers. No laptop, nothing up here electronic whatsoever except this microphone. So if anybody sees him, let him know. It's all paper tonight. Now, I don't have the handwritten scribbles that only he can read on the paper, but I do have paper tonight. Amen. We're going to go to just a minute, Job chapter 42. Um, we're going to start reading from the book of Job just for a few verses um, but before we do that, I kind of want to set a little context, which I like to do because I think it's important. I think it's important for us to understand context anytime we start talking about Scripture. Um, and so what we're talking about here is at the end of the book of Job, and we all know the story of Job. I'm not going to go into the details of that and all the things. You know, he was having a great day, and then he was having a terrible day. And then there's 39 chapters of two guys basically telling him it was all his fault. And Job defending himself and saying, listen, I'm righteous. And so there's a back and forth that goes on like this until we get to about chapter 38 or so when God finally decides to join the conversation. And he begins by saying, Job, and this is Darren's paraphrase, he begins by saying, Job, where were you? Who do you think you are? And so he spends the next three chapters just describing himself and all of the things that he's done in his own words, the beauty and the glory and the grandeur and the majesty of who he is. And he says to Job, what do you have to say for yourself? Again, this is Darren's words. And Job says, I'm not even going to say anything. <laughs> he said, I'm just basically, I'm going to sit over here in the corner and be quiet and not say anything. But the Lord didn't let him off the hook that easy. 
And he demanded of him an answer. And so we pick up here in chapter 42, verse 1. When Job finally did respond. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything. And that no thought can be withholden from thee. Lord, I know that you can do anything and you know everything. Who is he, he said, that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore, here's the bottom line, Lord, I have uttered that I did not understand. I was talking about stuff that was just way too wonderful for me to even comprehend. I didn't know it. Here I beseech thee, he said in verse 4, and I will speak, I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. Verse 5, I love, I have heard of thee. Does anybody know that prepositions are important things? Prepositions are pretty important things. There's a big difference between this preposition and this phrase and one that we'll hear later. I have heard of thee. But now, mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. You see, before God directly intervened and before he actually heard from God, he had just heard of God. Big difference in those two prepositions there. As we read through here in this portion of Scripture, to me, I see Job's admission here that in his mind, even in his righteousness, even in the fact that we know that the Lord called him a good man, that eschewed evil, even in all of that, in his mind, he had served a very limited God. Not limited by God's ability, but limited by his ability to perceive and to understand and to comprehend. And so I want to talk for a little while tonight about this thought. I'm going to ask this question of you and of me. Why are we serving a limited God? Hmm. Well, I felt the Holy Ghost just hit right there. Whew. Why are we serving a limited God? It doesn't have to be that way. We'll get back to our brother Job a little bit later, but I want to first talk about somebody else in our Old Testament, a patriarch that we all know and are very, very familiar with his story, our father Abraham. Because in contrast to Job, Abraham's God was limitless. Abraham had a promise from God, as we know. And the promise was that he was going to be the father of many nations. And he knew this. He had received a word from the Lord. And he also knew that it was in Isaac that the seed was going to be called. So Abraham had some key information, right? He knew what the promise was, and he knew the key figure to the promise. And then one day as he's going through life like me, fat, dumb, and happy, he, he, the Lord comes to him and says, I want you to now take that same promise that I've promised you and offer it back to me as a sacrifice. What? <laughs> that makes no sense, does it? Brother Jacob talked to us this Sunday morning about things that don't make sense. You find a lot of that sometimes in the Bible because what we define as sensible God has a completely different definition. But I want to talk for a little bit about what was really the trial of Abraham's faith here. I think sometimes, at least for me, I always, 
or I have been guilty of selling that a little bit short. I think I've made that about Abraham's choice between God and Isaac. I've made that trial, that test about whether or not Abraham would choose to serve God or choose to keep the promise. Did I, do I follow the promise keeper or am I more valuing the promise? In my mind, that's sort of always been the test that's there. But I don't, I don't believe that's the whole thing. And I think the scripture plays that out and we're going to go there in just a minute. I think instead, the real test or the fullness of the test, maybe at least, was Abraham having to believe God's promise so much that he realized that he was really never going to have to make a choice. You follow me? We see that in Hebrews. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. We're just going to read verse 1, first of all. And I'm reading verse 1 because I want to set up what we're talking about here. Again, we're talking about faith. And when we go through the heroes of the faith in, the, in chapter 11 and we get to Abraham, I want us to know what faith means. Faith, he says in verse 1, is the substance of things hoped for. It, it's the this when there is no this or that. It's the, it's the evidence of things that you can't see. When there isn't anything, faith. That's what faith is. Faith is what drives us to move and act on something that is not really real in such a way as though we believe it is really real. That's what faith is. That's what the writer of Hebrews here tells us in verse 1. And so if we understand that, we can move on down through the heroes of faith that are mentioned there through the first part of that chapter. We get to verse 17. And we see in verse 17, the writer says, by faith, by faith, having no real evidence of it, but doing it anyway, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up the promise, his only begotten son of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And here's why he could do it. Here's why Abraham passed the trial of faith. Because he accounted that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Abraham's real trial was not necessarily just about choosing between his only son and the God that gave him that son, but it was about whether or not he believed in the promise of God enough to sacrifice that very promise, knowing that it was still going to come to pass. Think about it. Genesis 22, verse 5, gives us the answer to that question, and I, I love this. Talk about a man of faith. My goodness, no wonder he was the father of the faithful. 22, verse 5, And Abraham said unto his young men, those that had traveled with him from their camp to this place of sacrifice, to this place where the Lord had told him to go to bring Isaac, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad, say, and the lad, will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Hmm. Abraham believed God to the point that he knew that no matter what happened on that mountain, <laughs> he knew they were both going up 
And he knew they were both coming back down. That was Abraham's trial of faith. Abraham was the father of the faithful because he understood that nothing was impossible with God. He didn't know how, and it didn't make sense. It didn't fit into what our human mind's finite abilities can construct, right? It didn't fit the framework. We couldn't, you know how we say, well, I just got to wrap my mind around that. There's no wrapping your mind around some of this. There's no parameters to be set in this case with Abraham. But you know what? He believed it, and he went on. Because to Abraham, his God was limitless. Mm. And so the result of Abraham's faithfulness, I think, is, has got a twist of a touch of irony in it. Because the result of his absolute confidence in God's ability, despite what his reality said to him, <laughs> was that he became the father of many nations. Abraham's faith, as we're getting ready to read in Romans, became the very blueprint for our path to salvation. Mm, it was. It laid the way. We're going to go to Romans chapter 4, starting at verse 3, and then skipping down to verse 11. For what saith the Scripture? Paul quoting here. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. It was his faith. It was his belief in God that made him righteous. Skipping down to verse 11. Understanding that what we just read, verse 11 says, and he received the sign of circumcision. Circumcision was not anything but a sign. It was a seal of the righteousness of the faith that he had before he was circumcised. That he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised. Abraham's belief Abraham's willingness to do whatever it was that God wanted him to do, to offer up the very thing that he thought was going to bring about his promise, was actually the thing that God used to bring about the fullness of his promise. That he, at the time, could not possibly understand or comprehend. Verse 12, And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father, Abraham. Abraham is our father today. Did we not walk in the steps of that faith of our father, Abraham? Which he had being yet uncircumcised. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or not to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Verse 16 says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace, that the, that the promise might be sure to all the seed, all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, meaning those that are of the Hebrew lineage, those that are of the natural lineage of, of Isaac, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Abraham's belief in God realized for him a portion of his promise that he didn't even know existed at the time that he did it. You, under, you follow me? Amen. His understanding of the limitless ability of God became, as I said, that very blueprint for our plan of salvation 
and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. In fact, if you go and you flip over to chapter 5, and we won't do it, but the very very first verse of that next chapter says that we're justified and that we're justified by faith. Mm. We have peace with God and we're justified by faith. So what does any of this matter? What does this have to do with, with, with the question here that we've posited tonight? What, what does this have to do with that? And it's just simply this. If Abraham doesn't take Isaac up that hill that day in an act of such bold faith that says that he believes in a limitless God, if he doesn't do that, he's never going to be the father of many nations. He's going to be the father of one nation. Without even realizing, I think, all that was going on, his faith in the promise giver opened up the ability for God to give him the fullness of the promise. God was able to perform the full scope of the promise that Abraham didn't even understand just because he chose to believe that anything was possible with God. A little ironic, I think. God used the very thing... (laughs) That, he, that it appeared as if he was asking Abraham to destroy to bring about that promise. God's only limited tonight by the limits that we place on him. I can get an amen for that. That's a true statement. You don't have to believe it, but that's a true statement. He's only limited by the limits that I place on him. Hmm. Unlike Abraham, it's difficult for me to completely unfetter my mind in such a way to just believe. Because that's not the way the human mind works. That's not the way our brain works. It wants to define everything. It wants all of these answered, all of these questions answered. It wants to have everything in a nice, neat little box, like I said, that we can wrap our mind around so that we can, we can understand it, we can comprehend it. It doesn't like unknowns. That's the way our human mind works. That's why Paul said in Romans 8 that the carnal mind is enmity with God. It's, it's this all the time because they're in opposition. They're, they don't mesh because we want to understand something that's not understandable. It wants to define him, to place parameters about him, but it can't be done. And, then, and really, when you think about it, that's kind of why man is in the sin condition that we're in today. Was the temptation in the garden not of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Uh-huh. Man couldn't stand the fact that there was something out there that they couldn't understand or comprehend. They had to know. They had to know. But when we try to understand God's infiniteness with our finiteness of mental ability, if we're not careful, what ends up happening is we limit him. We limit him in our lives. I know you've all heard of this, and maybe maybe not by the name, but you've heard of it, the omnipotence paradox. It's that old question, which to me is one of the silliest things I've ever heard, but some brilliant philosopher some time ago thought it up, I guess. Can God create a stone so heavy 
that he cannot lift it. Now, in my opinion, this is the perfect example of mankind trying to confine something to God that is finite when God is infinite. That's a question derived by somebody that obviously does not have an understanding of God. And it really has no suitable answer, not because of God's inability to make a rock, but because of our inability to understand him. We don't really truly understand sometimes to comprehend the limitless nature of God. God is without parameters. He's without limits. But yet sometimes in our lives we insist on serving a limited God. Limited by what we think, by how we define it by way we can see it work out. Amen. Somebody hear the word of the Lord tonight. We are not to be serving a limited God. This is not something new. It's not a recent development in the realm of Christianity. This is something that Paul understood and he spoke to. We're going to go to the end of Ephesians chapter 3. As Paul concludes the end of Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 16, he is uttering a prayer for the church at Ephesus, and he says this, that he being God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. I pray that the spirit of God comes in to dwell in you and strengthen you. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to what? Comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. You're not ever going to know. It's just never going to all make sense unless the Spirit leads you to it that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him, verse 20, that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Paul hits on right here, I believe, the very root of the issue and of the limitations that we put on God. And that's simply that we're just not thinking big enough. We need some big thinkers in the church. I think we serve sometimes a limited God because we limit him by our own thought. I, I, I wish I was more like Abraham. Now, if, if I was Abraham, I'm going off script here, so we'll see what happens. If I was Abraham, I'd spend two or three days down there at the base of the mountain fasting and praying and trying to figure out exactly what God was doing. No, oh, come on now. And I'm not obviously preaching against praying and fasting. Don't get me there. But that's what, my, that's what I do. I say, now, Lord, before it is that I do this thing that you've told me to do, I'm going to have to make sure I got a full understanding of what's going on here. That's not the way faith works. That's serving a limited God. That's limiting God's ability to do things that we have the ability to understand. Mm. That's not God's way. That's my way. I'd submit to you today that we serve that limited God because of we're not thinking big enough. We struggle, I struggle, just to believe 
and move forward. Way too much time I spend trying to figure out the why, the how. But sometimes you just have to say, I don't know. That's one of the toughest lessons I ever learned as somebody that loves to to get into the Word and study the Word is that sometimes I just have to say, I don't know. I don't know. There, There are things in the Bible that I don't understand, but there are also things that I know are absolute. If you take me to a scripture and try to point out to me the Trinitarianism, I may not be able to, hopefully I can, but I may not be able to to, to completely dissect your entire argument from those portions of scriptures, but you know what I can do? I can say, listen, here's what I know. I know that there's seven or eight chapters at the end of Isaiah in those 40s where God says a hundred times, I am the Lord and there is none else. I am God and there is no other God beside me. Because even though I may not know, even though I may not be able to understand, I believe. That's what faith is. I believe. And Paul was not just speaking out of turn. He was a man that had lived this life. He had a personal experience with this. He told us in Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, of his pedigree. He said, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of Hebrews. If you want to find somebody that's a Hebrew, you will not find anybody more so than me, is what Paul says. As touching the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I was more zealous than anybody you've ever seen. I was persecuting the church. Touching righteousness, which is in the law, I was blameless. You know what Paul's saying? I was doing everything exactly perfect based on my understanding of what I was supposed to be doing. He's describing here for us a man that was serving God to the absolute best of his ability based on what he knew. He was serving, though, a very limited construct of God. Saul didn't know it at the time, but Paul would later tell us that Abraham's righteousness was not because of the law, but it was because of faith. But based on what he knew then, he was walking blindly through his life, serving a very limited God until, oh God, Lord Jesus, give us all that until day. Let us all have that day where we, where we can say until. Until one day walking down a Damascus road, in a moment, the blinding of the man Saul became the opening of the eyes of the man Paul. Mm. And because of that day, and because of hearing again from God, not of, Paul lived his whole life hearing of. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the greatest teachers of the day. But when he heard from, it all changed. Hallelujah. I want to hear from God today. I'm thankful for the teaching, and I'm thankful for those that tell me all the things that they know of God. But today, we need to hear for ourselves from God. Mm. Paul went from serving a limited God to serving one that had no limits. Amen. 
It is. It is. It is. This is something that even Jesus understood and talked to us about a little bit. And we see that very well displayed, I think, when we read the account of the rich young ruler. And you know the story. He was walking with his disciples one day, and the young man comes up and says, Lord, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, you, you know the commandments. And he said, yes, Lord, but I'm, I'm good on all of that stuff. I'm good to go. I think that's the way the conversation went. Maybe a little bit different. I'm not sure. I'm good to go, God. But then I think Jesus sort of tried to open his mind a little bit to some of that beyond the limitations that he had in his own understanding. And he told him, as we all know, that if you want to be perfect, if you want to be complete, in a couple of the gospel versions it says, the one thing you lack. He's trying to bring him into a fullness here, a wholeness, a completeness. He said, if you want to get to that point, you've got to go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and understand that your treasure is in heaven. Unfortunately for this young man, that didn't fit into his idea of God very well. Didn't fit into what he understood about God, to the construct that his mind had created and crafted about God. And because he relied on his own understanding and his own ability, he left that day frustrated and unhappy and walked out of the Bible never to be heard from again. But the real point here is what happened after that. Because Jesus turned to his disciples and said something that probably to them made absolutely zero sense. He said, you know, it's harder for, the, for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. Now sure, the context was there, but that is the absolute opposite of anything that you would think. And they said that. What are you talking about, Lord? Again, this is Darren's version. You guys would have a lot of fun reading Darren's version of the Bible. I'm just saying that. I'm pretty sure I can't get it printed, but if I ever could, you'd enjoy it. This is Darren's version. What are you talking about, Lord? How is it that, is, is nobody ever going to get to heaven? And the response of Christ, I think, addresses this thing that we're talking about here tonight. Your mind is limited. You don't understand it. Jesus says, I understand that with you, it's not possible. <laughs> Woo! But I want you to understand that with God, there's no such thing as not possible. Mm. <laughs> Hallelujah, Jesus. There is no such thing as not possible. He said, it might not be possible to you, but impossible doesn't apply to me. Mm. Hallelujah, Jesus. And when we really get down to the essence of it, if we just believe and obey, God will do the unthinkable the absolute unimaginable. And that's the point. If you could imagine it, you'd be serving a limited God. Amen? 
Why are we serving a limited God tonight? What could happen if we stopped limiting him in our own definitions of his power, of his grace, of his saving ability, of his healing ability, of his delivering ability? What could happen if we took the, the reins off of God that we have on him with our own understanding of him? What could happen? I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe we could have a kid's fun day with a big blow-up water slide and somebody could come and get baptized in a wading pool. Maybe something like that could happen. Who knows what else might happen if we take the reins off of God in our mind. God, Jesus, help me today to stop serving you in a limited way and making you a limited God. Hallelujah, Jesus. I don't have much more to say tonight. I'm going to hopefully give you some time back. Maybe not. I don't know. I kind of feel a call to prayer here tonight. But as I, as I start to wrap up, I, I, I want to address this, this question. Because it's great to know what to do, but there's always the question of how. Right? What? I know where I need to be, but how do I get from where I am to, to where I need to be? What's the, what's the step to take to get from point A to point B? How do I do it? How do I, how do I get past these constructs of my, of my mind? You know, Paul tells us that we are to, to bring into captivity every thought unto the obedience of Christ. What is it that, that it takes to do that, to get there? How do I step outside of my human mindset to, to do as Abraham did and just believe and go? And I think tonight that it all starts with one thing. And personally, I think any message you ever preach or ever heard preach that doesn't come back to this thing is suspect. It starts with the same question that Paul asked on that Damascus road that day. Who are you, Lord? Huh. It begins with our genuine desire and pursuit of Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. That's what drives us to reading our Bible as Sister Lloyd talked to us tonight. That's what drives us to prayer. When we know him, We are able to remove those things from our life and let him work in us as he wants to. We want to get close to him. We want to know him. Abraham didn't understand the how, but you know what he did know? He knew his God. He knew his God. And that was enough. That was enough. So I pray tonight that God helps us to know him more to truly pursue him and allow him to open up our understanding to the reality of what he can do. I want to throw our text back up there and reread that again on the back side of this message. 42.1, Then Job answered the Lord and said, <laughs> Now remember, this is post hearing from God. I know that you can do everything. Whew, hallelujah. I might not understand how, God, but having heard from you, I know. And that no thought can be withholden from thee. 
Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore, God, yes, I talked about things I didn't understand, things that were too wonderful for me that I didn't know anything about. Going down to verse 5. I had heard of thee, Lord, by the hearing of the ear, but now, but now, but now mine eye seeth thee. And I want to hit verse 6 with all of the import that this holy book can hit it with tonight. Wherefore, I abhor myself. Oh, God, forgive me, Jesus. I repent before you in dust and ashes because I have limited you by confining you to my own understanding. Ah, God, help me not to serve a limited God. As we stand tonight, or don't stand, I don't care, kneel, pray. I just feel the Holy Ghost here tonight. And I wonder if anybody would just maybe see if the Lord would make this night your Damascus road. Oh, God. And approach him in dust and ashes and humility. In a state of repentance, God, forgive me. Forgive me, Jesus, for confining you in the construct of my mind. Lord, help me, Jesus, to serve you as the limitless God that you are. Help me, Jesus, tonight to serve you as the limitless God that you are. We have time. I would encourage you tonight to find a place to pray and get in that closet for a few minutes with the Lord and seek Jesus Christ.